This podcast is part of the Telerik Developer Network. Telerik by Progress. Welcome to Eat Sleep Code, the official Telerik podcast. I'm your host, Ed Charbonneau, and with me today is Michael Crump. How you doing, Michael? I'm doing great. How about you, Ed? Not bad at all. Uh, we're just catching up from a trip to Visual Studio Live in Redmond. We had a chance to hang out there for a little bit, so we thought we'd uh, record a podcast about some uh, Azure stuff today. Awesome. So, Michael, uh, me and you have gone way back. We've known each other for quite a while uh, doing the uh, speaking circuit around uh, conferences. Uh, We've worked together. But uh, for the people in the audience that are listening that don't know you, uh, what are you up to these days? Uh, Yeah, so now I am over at Microsoft. I've been here for about a good year and a year and a half and uh, originally landed in windows and now i've moved over to uh, azure uh, just like it seems like everybody else has in, in the past couple of months and i'm taking a look now in uh, the developer experience part of azure so i am trying to make sure that developers that are working with our platform have a great experience using it. They're able to find the tools and the services that they need to use. They're able to get up uh, up to speed really quickly and able to start building their uh, their first app in the cloud, if that's what they're looking for. Awesome. So Azure has a lot of stuff for developers. Uh, it's, it's pretty much the developer platform in the cloud. Uh, so, so what types of things are, are you specializing in or talking about uh, in regards to Azure? Yeah, so what I'm trying to do right now is I'm trying to focus in a lot more on the different types of app services that somebody can use. Uh, some of those app services uh, like such as web and mobile applications understanding where they may need a virtual machine, uh, setting up and hooking up uh, SQL databases, uh, using familiar tools, and uh, uh, yeah, just trying to help them understand the value of using the cloud. Yeah, so uh, you know, being a, an ASP.NET developer for a long time, I've, I've interacted with Azure in, in some capacity, but uh, I, I'm just not as familiar with it as I wish I was. Uh, so it's, it's cool to see that you're out, uh, kind of talking about these different services that are available. Um, I'd like to hear more. Yeah. So I think this is where, um, you know, this session, uh, this, uh, Azure for .NET developers, uh, I think it was named Azure for .NET developers in plain English session, uh, that I came up with. And a couple of people kind of, you know, kind of, uh, laughed a little bit about that title in plain English. And the reason that I named that session that and that I started uh, I started going around, I've been talking to people and trying to spread this, uh, this information is that I came from a desktop background. Um, I was building a lot of applications uh, using WinForms and even WPF, uh, anything like Win32. And from there, I started working on uh, UWP. And so as I was starting to hear about this Azure thing kind of in the in the background, you know, I'm seeing, you know, uh, maybe uh, documentation or other people talking about it. I started thinking, you know, 
is this is this something that's actually for me? Uh, is this something that I could do? Do I have to relearn skill sets? I'm seeing everybody talk about using uh, different types of uh, uh, CLIs that were particularly for Mac. And I just want to know if, if this is something for me, can I use this? And also, is this something that helps with my business? And then finally, um, why is this actually so hard? And from there, uh, I started documenting my my process of learning and getting up to speed with Azure, which it consisted of all kinds of different sorts of training, um, uh, lots of video training to listen to podcasts. And uh, even uh, from there, a lot of time just in the documentation and then a lot of time inside of the Azure portal. And the way that I started wrapping my head around this was thinking about thinking about the cloud as something that you can physically touch versus, you know, some of like the standard uh, definitions. I think one of them that I, I said it and I mentioned a couple of times is that every time I'd looked at the cloud, they had a definition like such as, oh, the cloud is a practice of using a network on remote servers hosted on the Internet to store blah, 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 rather than a local server or a personal computer. And I saw all these definitions and I was thinking, okay, well, if I start thinking of Azure as something that I can physically touch, something that is in like these 38 regions and I can physically go there and I could see that they're not only have, they not only have the buildings, but they have the servers, they have the racks, they have the power supply, they have the personnel that I could start to grasp it a little bit better there. Yeah, I like that you're you're coming at this from the uh, point of view of a, a desktop developer or a mobile developer, uh, where myself, I've worked with the web pretty much my entire career as a web developer. So the, the transition to Azure is a little more uh, direct, I think, for web development. Uh, you know, we're, we're already used to being part of the cloud infrastructure and stuff like that. So I, I like that you're coming at it from a different perspective than my own. Uh, and I think there's a lot of people out there that can relate to what you're talking about. Yeah, and uh, and when talking about infrastructure, you know, this this leads into what, you know, I, I called, at least in the talk, was like service model bingo. And the reason that I called it that <laughs> was that everybody starts talking about, okay, you know, you have this on-premises thing, and then you have infrastructure as a service, and platform as a service, and software as a service, and mobile backend as a service. And they kept going through all of these different types of, uh, of service models, yet they didn't explain them, I felt like, in a way that would kind of uh, click with people. At least the, the way that I was able to understand it was by grouping it into three different categories. Um, applications, operating systems, and hardware. And we've all seen like tons of these, uh, these the service models uh, where they have like all the diagrams. But I think if we think of that as apps, OS, and hardware, and with on-prem, you control all of this. And that this is again, what I was coming from with a lot of uh, the, the desktop applications. And when I worked full-time as a developer, which was uh, before my time at Telerik, um, we hosted everything, you know, it was, everything was all under our control. And then as you start moving up, 
to like infrastructure as as a service. And that one, as the name you know suggests, there you know you're providing the computing infrastructure. And that was my way that I was starting to to learn that. Um, so an, an example of that was like virtual machines. And that with platform as a service, again, as the name suggests, you know, provides you the computing platforms, you know, which typically includes an operating system, uh, the runtime, the database, a web server. And then with software as a service, uh, with that one, you know, you're provided uh, with access to application software, and they usually refer to that as on demand. And when I think of an example of that one, I think of Office 365. So with each one of these kind of giving a quick you know sample of what they are i believe helps that stick into our head a little bit better than everybody just saying IaaS. because i remember when people were first saying IaaS to me i was like oh what i'm not exactly sure what what that is what does what does that stand for and you know as you're starting to figure out what each of these these things stand for but when you start to associate the name with the definition and with an example, I think it starts sticking. Yeah, I think a lot of the stuff, like you were saying, is is written with um, you know upper level management, C level people in mind, and uh, not often uh, do you see it written for developers. So you don't get the full picture as a developer where you belong in the equation. And, you know, you read the thing, um, you know, the overview of this thing, and it's. It's got a lot of buzzwords and uh, not a lot of technical meat to it, uh, so it's it's nice to see that you're breaking it down and, and kind of relating it to what we do. You know, yeah. when you look at all these as a service things, you, you start wondering, you know, what what do you do to interact with it? Can I use Visual Studio? What languages do I need to to write this stuff in? How do I you know call a service from my application and stuff like that? Yeah, and, and that's where I started to see more and more and more people um, that when I would look in their documents um, or something maybe that they created and they shared like a, a Word document or something like that, it tended to be very focused towards IT pros. And uh, Azure currently has uh, this Azure for Developers Guide that exists and we're working on refreshing that. That is something that, uh, that that will be coming. But I wanted to make sure that at least if there's new content coming out, that there is content that's for the IT pro crowd, but there's also content that's for our the, the developer crowd and the crowd that I'm going to be speaking to, and something that's easier for them to get to get up to speed using the platform. Yeah, I think you might see a lot of that stuff written the way it is, like you said, for IT pros and such. Uh, it's not usually the case that the developer is writing the check for these type of things. So you see yeah. it being sold there. But I think uh, we're such a large part of the equation uh, being developers. Uh, I think we need you know, to be part of that story as well uh, to help sell it you know, within the, co the company that we work for. Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, when I um, when I gave this talk, one whole section was on VMs, and I spent probably about 15 minutes of my 60-minute talk chatting about VMs. And I originally thought, you know, as I'm running this, well, you know, maybe there, you know, developers may feel that this is more along the lines of, you know, something for you know IT pros. 
but then I got to thinking about, you know, what do I do there? Um, you know, how am I using Azure VMs currently? And I was thinking of, you know, my process before, if I wanted to create a VM to test out uh, a Visual Studio 15.3 uh, uh, preview, which it just, you know, came live just a couple days ago, um, the final version. But if I wanted to check out preview software of Visual Studio, I would download the ISO, uh, you know, right there, it's a couple of gigs. And then I would start, uh, I would start making sure that I have, you know, my stuff for either using uh, VirtualBox or VMware, uh, and then the operating system. And I would go through the process of making sure my current hard disk or the hit disk that I'm going to be attaching to has enough space. I would start building out, installing the operating system, you know, going through these long processes of getting that, of putting all that together, and then finally spinning up a VM. Whereas now, you know, I'm able to just search for that version of Visual Studio, and you know, provide a couple of different uh, uh, input parameters and create that virtual machine, and it's now it's it's living. I can click a button. To pull down the RDP uh, and you know use remote desktop connection and then remote in to that VM for really just a couple of dollars and then just you know destroy it if, if I don't need it but just for a, some sort of quick test or or something like that. Yeah, I've seen people use those too when they're on the go and they don't quite have a laptop that's beefy enough to run stuff or maybe they just want a centralized location where they can remote into and do some development. I've seen people use it for that as well. Yeah, and and uh, here recently, um, I needed a uh, I needed a Linux uh, machine running Apache for uh, some a. Uh, uh, it was it's for some software that is basically kind of like Evernote, but it lets you run it on your uh, local machine. And I was able to select that Apache uh, Linux uh, VM and uh, run it and then attach my uh, website to it. And it's only costing really a couple of dollars a month because I only need this thing running uh, for it's gonna it's not gonna really get very much traffic. It's using just like a standard hard disk. It's actually on one of the shared uh, plans, um, and I'm wanting to say it may have been like thirteen dollars a month, but for what it's providing me, and again, you know, this is a machine, you know, this that's just out there. I think this one's on the West US, and I don't have to worry about you know losing power. You know we always always have like these VMs or something that we kind of shove under our desk. Maybe you know well in your case you guys working from home you may have it you know in in the corner of a room somewhere and you know here we keep some of these machines um, you know uh, if it's our personal projects maybe underneath our computer desk and it's like okay well I finally don't have to worry about okay going through all of these other additional uh, firewalls that I have to get to to get to this machine inside of a Microsoft building you know now it's here in the cloud obviously I can set up my firewall rules and uh, I can rock and roll from there yeah those things can be really handy in the cloud uh, sometimes more than they are physically because you know you, you can set up virtual machines on your main you know desktop machine that you use every day the problem is they're usually not very performant uh, the virtual machine has to, 
you know, share resources with the main box and it, it can get pretty sluggish and you can run into some, some issues with video and, and uh, allocating space on the hard drive and stuff like that. It can get fairly monotonous uh, to install those things. And what usually ends up happening to alleviate some of those problems is you, you start up like a dual boot situation you're running parallels or you're just booting from one Windows OS to another one or maybe some Linux is in there. And then that gets kind of hairy if you're on a, a machine that you're uh, not repaving. And, you know, it's already something that you've, you've, you've been using for a while. You have to worry about, am I partitioning the right hard drive that's in this machine? Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to accidentally wipe out something <laughs> that's uh, not backed up and... It's easy to just go out to Azure, spin something up in the cloud, and log into it. And and also, this has happened. So I've been in software professionally since 2002. And since I've been in software and I've been working with VMs, I don't think I have ever actually created a VM and estimated the disk space properly <laughs> almost every time I've had to go back in and you know you start attaching different disks and then I'm um, hopefully I have enough space on my my current disk I mean now everybody's kind of rocking SSDs and you know I'm lucky enough to have a 512 but that space can go very quickly and uh, I always always we get stuck with I didn't have enough space on my local hard disk and I need more space inside the VM and so I go through that that struggle of, you know, oh, where can I free up some space uh, to get that to work? And obviously, the Azure is nice because after you create a VM, you can go in and you can attach any size uh, hard disk that you would like. So you never kind of uh, run out there. Yeah, I had, I had an interesting one last week. Uh, I couldn't get any of my external monitors to work. And uh, no matter what I plug my laptop into, none of them would come up. So it turned out it was something to do with uh, virtual machine software that uh, wouldn't let go of past monitors that were plugged in. And uh, it was just hosing the whole system up, and I had to, ended up having to disable the VM software to get the monitor back on. Uh, it was a good part of my morning. So there's there's always fun stuff to deal with as a developer. <laughs> exactly, and, and you know one other piece to that is... Uh whenever I create a VM and I have it exactly like I want it. So let's just say I have one with uh, Node.js and MongoDB. Uh, and you know, I have that, I finally got that machine working exactly like I would like for it to be. Um, having that ability to recreate that VM, um, thankfully you can do that through these, these automation scripts in Azure, but being able to have another version of that VM that I can kind of store safely, you know, in another spot for any any time I want, you know, this version node or, you know, this version MongoDB machine back up and running, I, I can do that. And I can also, thankfully, I can do that through uh, Bash or I can do that through uh, Bash on Windows, that is, or through PowerShell or Command Prompt, or if you're in the, you know, if you're in the other side of the world, you know, the Mac world, uh, you know, you you can obviously use terminal and Linux and things like that. In the CLI, you can run that directly from the cloud as well, can't you? Exactly, and uh, that was uh, that was announced at Build. Uh, that was the cloud shell. Um, 
that was uh, demoed. And uh, yeah, the Cloud Shell, it uses uh, the Azure CLI 2.0. And uh, I believe you can also use the 1.0 if you're if you're familiar with that, but I would recommend uh, uh, at least taking a look at the Azure 2.0. Um, it's a lot easier there to kind of manage resources and it uses, uh, it uses uh, a format of something like AZ for Azure and then noun slash verb. So if you think of that as a VM, it would be AZ uh, space VM space list. So it follows a format that's pretty easy to use and your stop and start, there's no difference once you top out the command and you, you have to add in like your resource group and stuff. Uh, you use start and then stop. Uh, you can you know just arrow key up and then uh, replace the word if you want to stop or start. So it's it's pretty easy to get up and running. And it's also the cool thing is that that CLI is available for absolutely everybody. Even though I've been I've been showing a lot of uh, Bash on Windows using that shell, I found that a lot of people really want to use, uh, especially Windows users, are very interested in using PowerShell and to continue and work with with PowerShell with with not only just the VMs, but just anything inside of Azure. And I think that's a good point also is that everything that you can do inside of the portal, you can also do through the command line. And a lot of people, they don't really, they may not know that. Um, and they may think, well, if I want to, you know, if I want to run or I want to spin up this, this web app or, you know, shut down this service, I need to go back to the portal and they'll quickly learn as they start working with it. Uh, they have the power to do that through the command line. Yeah, that's uh, that's handy stuff, especially being uh, somebody who travels a lot. Uh, you know, having having that cloud CLI is really cool because if you have stuff that's out there running and there's an issue, I mean, you can reboot things, you can start logging, you know, kick off a logging process, all sorts of stuff, right, from a tablet or you know, Wi-Fi at the airport, wherever you're at, and uh, you can get that going pretty quickly. Um, it's, it's nice to know about the, uh, the stuff with the portal, uh, you know, not having to access things from the portal because uh, there's really a lot of services and uh, different pieces of Azure that are available through the portal, and it can be a bit noisy at times. Uh, so if you can get the, the uh, CLI open and kind of focus on the task at hand, they could probably be really helpful yeah and and one other thing is that uh, uh that's also available through uh the mobile app so there is a uh, azure mobile app that is uh for uh, ios and android and so yeah i mean you're starting to think about it you're like yeah i don't know when i would do this but um i think uh one of the jokes was you know i'm, I'm at dinner with you know my family and uh, I need to spin up a CLI to uh, do some <laughs> managing of some uh, resources. Uh, I, I don't know if I would do it then, but uh, it, you have that ability to uh, spin up a CLI directly on, uh, on your phone, which I think is, uh, th which is pretty cool um, to at least have that ability. It never fails that things go wrong when you're not home or at work. <laughs> Uh, for example, every every time I travel, my home internet goes out, and and, and, uh, and you're trying to configure it from like a hotel or something. Yeah, usually I'm trying to to uh, do tech support over the phone with uh, a, fi a fifteen or a ten year old, and uh, <laughs> you know, 
just isn't working. And, and I know, uh, when I, when I worked in, um, it type of a role, every time I was away from the office or, uh, one of my coworkers would be away from the office, anything we owned would pretty much get knocked offline or, uh, something would go awry. Uh, we, we called it to closet goats. Um, we, <laughs> Nice. We said the closet goats would be eating the cables while we were gone uh, and uh, remind each other to go feed the closet goats so nothing would go wrong when we when we'd step out of the office. Uh, so uh, you could use your remote command line to feed the closet goats so things don't break down when you're <laughs> when you're away from the office. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, you know, uh, these things, you know, the world has been, you know, kind of changing here, and nowadays you've got to have a little bit more flexibility, especially when you're starting to work, you know, with something as as big as Azure, and and that also leads me into, you know, we were just talking a little bit about the command line, um, but also the absolute power that Visual Studio has and that Visual Studio developers have with also working with Azure. So I believe we touched uh, briefly on uh, on creating web apps uh, using this thing called App Services. But one thing that I actually demoed was uh, being able to uh, create uh, ASP.NET MVC application and not adding, uh, not adding anything to it, uh, just having kind of a, a plain ASP.NET app uh, the only thing is it adding in maybe individual authentication and uh, creating that out, running it locally. And then after we run it locally, um, basically right click and go to our publish settings and look at the various different ways that you can deploy that to, you know, IIS, to local file systems, to VMs, and then to finally to app services. And then deploying that app. I'm still in Visual Studio, through Visual Studio, and that once that application has been deployed, I can start debugging it live. And if I want to go ahead and uh, uh, I can I can obviously navigate out to the side. I can make my changes. I can uh, sync those changes uh, back up to the side. But then having that ability to go in and start doing things uh, and start using things such as like the cloud explorer to start pulling down different logs logs that people you know may be uh, familiar with that they've worked with is um, opening in this in the portal and then you know seeing the different types of deployment slots um, all through visual studio and this isn't even including some of the cool things that you can do with uh with SQL Server. So I think Visual Studio developers, they they may not be as aware of, of just how much you can actually do with Azure without ever you know touching the Azure portal when you start talking about using Visual Studio and Cloud Explorer and uh, the Azure CLI 2.0 and using things like Bash and PowerShell, Command Prompt. There's a lot you can do um, as a Windows developer today. Yeah, I'll tell you an experience I had with it. Uh, it's very quick to get set up if you need something that's public facing. So for example, if you're, uh, and this is a situation I was in, uh, I had a hackathon and I wanted people to be able to access the application I was writing. 
So you can't really do, you know, local host on that deal. You've got to have it out on a public server somewhere. People can actually ping it and see what you're working on. Uh, so I just fired up Visual Studio, did a file new project, and checked the box for Azure. And there, you know, was a uh, an app service created and pushed my uh, MVC application right to it. And it's it's up and it's public, like, almost immediately. Uh, so if you're in a, a hackathon and you need to get something up and running uh, that, that needs to be entered in a contest or something like that, it's a really quick way to do it. Uh, my only advice is to make sure you log into your Azure account and uh, set your, um, your uh, what do you call it, the resource level uh, to something yeah. appropriate because uh, the, the default one it may not be the right one for something like a hackathon. Uh, so don't go burning up a bunch of Azure dollars <laughs> if you're just yeah. uh, doing something for uh, a, a hobby or something like that. Uh, so just fire that thing up and then go into Azure and set your set your resource level and then get to work. And I think the speed is, is a great thing here, is that, uh, for example... Um, I had made this joke on Twitter. There was a company, which I obviously will not name, that, uh, that they had a message on their site that said, uh, uh, we're, we're down for maintenance. And uh, I think I tweeted it out, and there was a couple people that commented on it saying something like, um, uh, you know, that's crazy in this, this day and age, and, and I agree completely. And I took that uh, thinking of that company that actually shut down their services and, you know, thinking about some, some companies today and, and how they would never do that. And in this talk, I added in uh, some deployment slots and I think I created three, um, a staging, a development, and then a production. Uh, obviously I'm missing like tests there, but just for a quick demo. I created a couple of different deployment slots and we actually deployed again through Visual Studio to uh, our staging site and then from there I went into the portal just because I'd been showing some visual stuff there and I clicked one button and you know where I had used you know like some crazy you know uh, large font saying you know this is the new version I clicked one button and then within a couple of minutes uh, I think it may have been less than that. Uh, it it had swapped out my staging site with my production site, and you know it was like kind of minds blown because the level of effort was just a couple of different clicks. You know, obviously deploying, you know, the site to the new to the to the to the staging environment, and then being you know one button and being done with it. And folks were pretty amazed that that was actually. Uh, that they were able to, that I was able to pull that off, and then like continuous deployment um, with like a GitHub account. I think I'm able to show that whole demo in less than one minute. Of you know, here's my GitHub repo. This is my website. Now I'm going to make a change. I'm going to push it. Uh, I'm going to push it to the to the uh, GitHub repo, and I'm going to show you the build kicking off, and then the build redeploying. Um, and I can set that up in about a minute. So, I mean, stuff like that, that's like, oh, wow, that's really, that's super fast. You know, if you could, if you wanted to go back to your boss and be like, oh, yeah, you know, all day today I've been setting up these uh, deployment slots. 
<laughs> so that's yeah, a pretty nice workflow. Uh, I've done that before with uh, personal websites and um, like like I said, hackathons it works really good for just because it's so speedy. Uh, but if you can get that set up in a work environment, that's that's really amazing. Like to be able to just push it to a, a Git repo. Uh, just uh, one thing to be aware of is, uh, you know, these are, you're talking about local GitHub repos. Uh, just beware what you push to the oh, actual yes. like github.com <laughs> make sure your azure keys are not in that github repo if you're pushing it to github.com where it's public um, that, but i've done this privately before that is that is very true and that's you know that's also you know with like asbnet mvc at least the the default template um there is a default connection where it's hooking that up to sql server and where I have, uh, I you know, I would create a SQL uh, database uh, using Azure, and I would actually be managing that through SQL uh, Management Studio, uh, creating things like you know my my user that's going to be logging in obviously wouldn't have that full permission, uh, you know, each and every time. And as I was I was doing that, you know, people were always kind of thinking, well, you know, how do you wire up the Azure database? to your, your application, your MVC application, and both of these are living in the cloud. And I'm like, well, actually there is, if you just look at the, uh, the web.config, you'll see that there is this thing called default connection and that, you know, out of the box, you know, it's kind of set up for a local, uh, local thing. Well, you can switch over into the portal and you can copy your connection string out and then you know add in the username and password for whatever user and then drop that in your app and all of a sudden you know your big secret you know which is you know the user that's connecting that database uh it's now stored inside of the cloud but yet it's going to be called every time that that app runs and you obviously don't have to worry about pushing that in the source control so little things like that like little tips and tricks uh you know i think i think really helps people start to understand, oh, that was that easy. All I needed was just a, a, a connection, a string there to, to add into my, my app service. And that was it. Like that, That's actually it. No, no real rocket science here. <laughs> yeah, ASP.NET Core is written in a way to uh, help facilitate that type of stuff as well. Uh, the way it overloads your settings is, is uh, done in a way that's met with Azure development in mind. Uh, so it, it will read the environment variables last uh, in your application and pull things like connection strings and stuff out of your Azure uh, environment variables. You know, stuff that you don't have stored in source control or on your local machines. You can't accidentally deploy your app with the uh, development database attached to it and things like that. Yeah, that would not be good. <laughs> of course, none never. of us have ever done that before, right? Never, never. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to even mention all of the things that uh, that I've done in my life. Uh, none of including... us have ever furiously refreshed a page, wondering why it's not changing, because we've accidentally logged into the development database. <laughs> Or wrote a SQL query that deleted uh, too many, uh, too much data that it shouldn't have, and yet you're like, "Oh, I thought that would. Oh no, that didn't work. 
that actually now I've got to figure out how to restore the state. <laughs> <laughs> we all have all these fails in our life. Uh, maybe we should tell, maybe we should talk about those more. Maybe we should, we should let, you know, let, let people know that, especially, you know, on social media and Twitter, you know, that way people feel that, you know, we're all human here. Yeah. yeah we need a tech fail episode. <laughs> And you know what? I think uh, pretty much anybody uh, would be qualified to be on there as long as they're willing to share. Uh, they're willing to share what has really happened in their career uh, so far. But but yeah, I mean, going back to like you know, going back to you know like the databases and, and things like that. Um, I was happy that I could use SQL Management Studio to work with my SQL database in Azure, and that it really wasn't as different as if I had created this locally and I don't know if you remember it but like setting up like SQL server is like a scary thing if you're not uh, if you're not into that sort of thing <laughs> you're trying to figure out okay well I'm hoping that I'm creating you know I'm setting up SQL server correctly you're you're, you're just hoping that it just auto fills in as much as possible before you hit the next button as you're walking through the wizard and I'm, I'm happy that going through the, the scary wizard is, is, is taking care of me is, is being taken care of for me by Azure and that I only have to put in some of the details uh, that, that I care about instead of answering too many, too many questions there. And I can use the tool that I'm familiar with and I know just enough SQL that I can, uh, that I can, I can, I can get done what I need to do there. Yeah, so, the the local installation for SQL Server, uh, I'm trying to think the last time I did it, but it's gotten better over the years, but it's still a lot of work. Uh, there's still a lot of questions that you have to answer, and you know what what's my server instance name? Uh, what are all the security uh, roles and all that stuff has to be entered in there. So if any type of abstraction built on top of that, I'm I'm all for it. Security roles freak me out, and uh, typically, if I'm doing some sort of demo or something for myself, you know, uh, admin is is the way we go. <laughs> Ad, admin just takes care of all of it. But obviously, if uh, I'm showing some demos to somebody or doing something else, that I'll kind of want to make sure I get those right, so I spend a lot more time in the docs. Yeah. Um, essay password essay. Exactly. <laughs> but, but, you know, and, and like with, with all of this, you know, as I was going through this and this, this, you know, uh, this talk is really demo heavy. One of the things that kept coming up there was, uh, at, at least, you know, with some of the questions was drilling into like, you know, how much does all of this, this cost? Okay. Cause you, you've, you've told me that this, this is a pretty cool thing. I like the demos that I'm seeing. You know how how much does this does this cost? Is this really cheaper versus me just spinning it up my own? You know, or having my own IT, you know, department take care of these these data centers, etc. And I will say there is a pricing calculator that I would like. You know, if if you're wondering if if this is for you, there is a pricing calculator that you can go to and you can drill down. And like for example, the a VM, you can drill down to like the region and how many cores you own, how much RAM, what type of hard disk, and it will it will create, you know, it will create an estimate there for you. 
and I would say for a lot of people, if you're trying to just take a quick look at, at what the cost is on something, you can take a look at the pricing calculator, which we'll, we'll drop a link to that, you know, in the notes here, and see if if that fits for you. But also, you have a credit uh, by creating, uh, you know, an Azure account that you can begin, you know, going out there and playing with. So, and then there is also a couple of different sandboxes. There's some sandboxes for app services uh, where you don't even have to, uh, you know, you just it just uses your MSA and uh, also like Azure Functions uh, that also uses an MSA and so no credit cards required for some of those things. So there is quite a few options <clears throat> that you can do to kind of get started there. Yeah, so we'll make sure we put resources uh, together for people that, that want to check all this stuff out. Um, and uh, do you have uh, some resources already built up? Um, I think you mentioned something about doing this this talk as like an open source project, so other people yeah. could take it and, and you know shop it around to their user groups or, or conferences. Uh, do you have some resources for that as well? Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I remember before I would get to go to maybe when I worked as a developer. So I worked at McKesson, uh, a giant like healthcare. Uh, they're currently, I think, taking over most everything, um, at least the smaller independent pharmacies. But I worked for McKesson, and uh, at McKesson, I would usually get to go to maybe one conference a year, and so I would go to maybe one big conference a year. And when I went, um, I always liked taking the material that somebody presented on and then coming back and presenting it to my group. And I did that for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that I wanted to get a little bit better with, with doing talks because I was doing some user group talks and things like that. And I wanted to, I wanted to get better trying to learn how to do presentations. Um, and then, you know, it was part of, you know, sharing knowledge, you know, about the event that I just went to and also, you know, for the boss, you know, you know, making sure that they, that they see that I got value out of this and not only did I get value, but I'm bringing that back to the company. And so when they decide, you know, who's going to go for, you know, an event the next year, your name is usually at the very top of the list. So with that in mind, what I've been doing with my talks here lately is that I've been putting uh, every everything related to the talk in a GitHub folder. So things obviously such as like slides, which almost everybody gives away slides and source code, but also taking that a couple of other levels and open sourcing like my full demo script. And uh, whenever I present at a, a conference uh, or user group anywhere, um, I have a full demo script because I forget really cool things that I really want to show the audience. And it's never more than two pages, front and back. And it's one sheet of paper. And you can flip back and forth. And if, if I forget how to do something, or if I remember that at this certain spot, this demo could fail, and here's how I can work around it quickly because I don't want to waste the attendees' time, especially, you know, if they've just spent thousands of dollars to get there. I don't want them to. Uh, I don't want them to leave and saying Crump sessions sucked. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I put all of my notes here, and then I also put my machine prep, which is, if I was going to do this talk tomorrow, here's what I would need. I would need, you know, I would need two browser windows open to this, you know, at this website. 
I would need a zoom it to zoom in and out. And I, I put all of this information inside of a repo where attendees can take the talk or anybody can take the talk and then they can present on it as if really it's their own. And the only thing that I really ask is that if they present on it or somebody presents on it, you know, just shoot me an email. Let me know that you, you did it because then I can, I can, uh, I can at least leave saying, Hey, this is actually turning out to be successful. You know, people are, are using this. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of times I'll, I'll try to include some resources like that and people will, you know, give me a shout and say, yeah, I use this at my meetup group or whatever. And it, it, a lot of times it comes in handy cause I can help promote whatever it is, you know, they're, they're using it for, uh, whether they included it in another open source project or if they, uh, have a talk coming up at their meetup group, you know, it helps if I can help them share that on Twitter or whatever it is. Yeah. And I think, I think people really like that. It's something that I enjoy seeing from yeah, other the, talks. The feedback's always helpful too, to help you improve the uh, content. And, you know, I, I'm sure you're like me, the, same presentation never goes the same way twice because it, it keeps getting better every time you give it. That's true. The more time that I present on a topic, um, then then uh, I, I'm, I'm better at it and I think people enjoy it more. Absolutely. So we'll, we'll put all this stuff in the show notes. Michael, uh, where can we find you online? Yeah, so you can find me a couple places. The best place is probably going to be uh, Twitter Twitter, uh, just simply at MB Crump. And uh, I'm currently doing a thing where I've been doing uh, some tips and tricks. Uh, and uh, anyway, you may enjoy that if you're, you're just starting to use Azure, uh, tips and tricks right now at the portal. And so uh, you can find me there. I have a blog, just michaelcrump.net. And uh, yeah, I mean, one of those two places. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Mike, for uh, joining me on the show today. Uh, we'll um, be talking to you again, I'm sure. Uh, we uh, run into each other from time to time, so uh, I'm sure we'll have a chance to record again. And uh, thanks for talking about Azure with us. Uh, some pretty cool stuff. We'll have to see what people do with the uh, open source talk. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, 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 hope, I hope they will enjoy it. Anyway, it was it's great being on your show. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Bye-bye.